0: Coming up on Pass the Secret Sauce.
1: And uh, I, I did a startup that didn't work out, um, but it, it, it exposed me to the way software engineers would use these project management tools to manage building software. And that's why I thought, hey, this stuff would actually be really cool for M&A. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that inspiration led to starting Deal Room in 2012. And I made a lot of founder mistakes there, a bunch. The best takeaway I've learned is just create a good feedback loop as part of your muscle for being the entrepreneur where you forget about the good news forget get rid of it. I don't even care. I don't want to hear it. Like and cut people off. I don't want, I give me the criticism. Tell me all the bad, mm-hmm. uh, tell me the bad about your problems. What are the worst problems you have and try to naturally get people to see if they're talking about the problem you're trying to solve. Uh, if you do that objectively, sometimes in a series, you'll find like a better thing to solve for than what you had in mind. But when, once you start proposing solutions to people, that same feedback loop, like give me the bad, like, tell me what's going wrong. Like, why don't you like this and this and that, like, would you pay for this? How much would you pay for this? Okay. Mm -hmm. Give me a check for that much right now. What did you just lie to me? Did you say like really push that feedback, but the, you know, the stuff you don't want to hear and try to get that as unbiased as possible. Um, so that that we, we, that we, that core principle allowed us through years of iteration get to the right product where we shifted from selling a solution to investment banks to selling it directly to corporations that would acquire other businesses then over time it evolved to manage the whole as a software product the life cycle of M&A uh then you you keep finding more problems right that's that's what it is you started with solving for due diligence we talked to more practitioners we talked learned about the integration problems start building solutions for that that continues to go so as a company we solve a lot of different problems some of it goes into uh, a technology product Uh, some of it gets written up as best practices and we have different publications but i I think all this rolls up into how we want to change this industry Mm -hmm. because now you know like you're you're making these improvements and solving these problems but they they start rolling up into a theme of how the industry is evolving. And it's going from this traditional finance focus, like everybody critiques and tinkers with a model until they got something justifiable for the purchase price to do the deal. Yeah. But it, it's ultimately all the post close activity that generates the value. Welcome to the show. I'm Matt
0: Shields. On Past the Secret Sauce, we unscramble the life stories, skills, and secrets from the most wicked smart minds and interesting people to uncover their experience and recipes for success that will help you get an edge on your own life. My goal is to help you rein in on the chaos that life throws at us by learning from other high achievers. If you're new to the show, we have episodes with founders, CEOs, investors, and leaders. So if you like to learn and are motivated to improve your life, then kick back and listen to our guests pass their secret sauce.
1: Kisan Patel, CEO and founder of m and Science. m and Science is a company that provides educational and technology resources to corporate M&A practitioners that allow them to do their deals faster, with better outcomes. The dinner table. Growing up as a child, I was—I don't know if we had much of a dinner table. I feel like every time when I was a kid, me and my brother would always come home starving, and then we would eat. And and uh, my parents were running a business. I grew up in literally in a motel where they had a living quarters in there, and my dad's always running around. He's either fixing things, doing some work, checking in gas, and my mom was keeping us busy helping him out and uh yeah I, I don't know if we had much of like a traditional where we really sat down at the dinner table i feel like everybody kind of ate at different times yeah and uh yeah it wasn't as much unless he had guest over so it was probably like reflective of today the very uh dynamic approach to this but um yeah not so much mom loved cooking indian food everything was so spicy i remember being a kid always complaining to mom about it like mom this is too spicy i can't eat it and uh you know then next thing you know you're just eating a, a bowl of rice but yeah yeah, yeah. yeah that was the dinner table when I, when I was younger
0: love it love it so so your your parents ran a motel it sounds like or, or owned they, the motel? they did
1: they did that was the thing the indians from the region of india where my family came from that was the business they loved hospitality they, they had quite a few uh, starting with that, it's it's nice to see the progression where they they're actually owning some bigger and better hotels. Not my yeah. family per se. My parents are retired now, but um, you know they had their run for a while.
0: No, I love that. I love that. And and obviously, I'm sure that, that that rubbed off on you. You know, having growing up in you know, an entrepreneurial type setting. You know, how do you think that that influenced? You uh, growing up and then you know making a decision to actually start
1: your own company, I you know, as a kid, it was just my parents were always working, they're always working, always working. Mm-hmm. And later, when you start, they ask get you to help start counting bills and doing deposits and things like that. And you're like, Whoa, this is interesting! This is I'm seeing all the money go through and understanding the business model piece of it. You get interested. I, I didn't have a family that encouraged it. My dad was always wanted me to get into engineering or. Go study something, mm-hmm. and I, I I struggled with having a tor- short attention span. I think that was the thing where I did okay in school, but it got harder and harder. And mm-hmm. I noticed that that it was a challenge for me specifically because I had a very short attention span. And then when it got up to college, and you, you're tested on on material that's presented through lectures, mm-hmm. and not just yeah. books you can memorize all the words or the keywords. And called a day that it got really tough, and, and I ended up uh, getting dismissed from school. <laughs>
0: yeah, so. yeah, no, and that's that's actually interesting too. Um, do you do you feel like that even? You know, when when did you start your 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 first company? Was it right when you um, got kicked out of school, or was it you know shortly thereafter, or or you know how how did that progression? um work where you started uh, your own I remember,
1: thing i remember when i was 12 there was this transition of going to your junior high school and it got really clicky and i I got made fun of and bullied and i, I didn't have nice clothes i had my lovely immigrant parents that had me with uh two pairs of jeans and three shirts i remember one of them was pink so mm-hmm. if you imagine what i wore every wednesday <laughs> and uh, that was my driver. I just wanted nicer clothes. and I started my first business from when I was 13 from the locker in, in junior high school where I would distribute cigars, cigarettes, and chewing tobacco. So really? I wow. Created a tobacco shop from my, my locker and uh, it was doing good. It was making about a hundred bucks a week and things got upgraded. I got some nice Nike Air Maxes and uh, upgraded the wardrobe there. But uh, that's probably the early first business. So there's always that kind of drive to do something. You start like trading baseball cards. And you understand mm-hmm. the fundamentals of how commerce works, and then mm-hmm. where else can you apply it?
0: Yeah, I love it. I love it. And, and out of curiosity, um, and I'm and this can also correlate into later in life um, when you when you got your upgrades, you know, your upgraded shoes and all of that. You know, did that did that help? your life, your, your, your social, you know, social life or, you know, you're, you're standing in the, in the school at all. I'm curious. Yeah.
1: yeah I, there's probably different struggles I can point out with. I think that with your confidence, it definitely helps. Yeah. You, you start building more self-esteem and confidence. And, I think and it helps. it Yeah. That's exactly where I was going to go with that. Like,
0: you know, even as, as we, you know, mature through our, our, you know, different ages and whatnot, You know, you 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 sort of attach you a worth to the different things that you have. Even even if it's that you you are completely not showing anything that you know of what you have. um, I feel like you know having having the confidence to be able to not have to have all the flashy things is uh, you know a, a a a stepping stone in itself, if that makes sense. So I, I just I, I and I don't know where any of this questioning is going, but I'm just curious if you have any opinions on, um, you know, showing showing the wealth being very very flashy and and feeling like you know that's the way that you need to you know project yourself, or is there something to be said about you know being more reserved and Um, you know, having that confidence to be able to not worry about those types of things and, and, you know, prove yourself by your, by what you do. Does that?
1: You know, there's, there's some personalities around that, right? Some people really like to put themselves out there to, you know, sort of show the wealth and they want the gratification or make the, uh, impress people. There's some that are a lot more humble. I think the key things to remember is, yeah, I remember my uncle that said it the best. He said, okay, he, he was a second uncle that was really off and dressed so cheap and didn't spend money at all. And I was like, mm-hmm. uncle, you know, you got some money to spend here. Uh, how come you, you know, like at the Dodge Caravan, you know, we can upgrade these things. Uh, and he just, he put it so clearly. He's like, he on the person that surrounds themselves with luxury, then loses it. That's the person that suffers. Mm-hmm. But he says so much in so few words because I sat there and thought about that for a while. I was like, well, that's such a, you know, if you humble yourself, where you really aren't concerned about anything that your material that you'd lose, we you do pretty well. And I was, I had that. I always bought a secondhand car and was like, if somebody dinged it, I didn't care yeah. if some, you know, whatever happened happened. Uh, so I, I, I yeah, I mean, so that you, you get that. And I, I think the other piece to re- be mindful of is the wealth generation is the outcome, right? You can't get fixated on the money. M- money's like air; like you, you just you have to have it to live. That's not what you want to think about. The capabilities, you, your development professionally that allows you to have the capabilities to create value. That's where you want to stay laser focused at. The wealth generation is purely the outcome of your capabilities. The more you can do things. And when we talk in our company about leadership, we break it down to the three main skills, uh, the executive uh, leadership strategy, problem solving, decision-making, and the better you can develop the, your abilities in those areas, that's what's going to allow you to create value solving really big problems out there, making mm-hmm. big decisions, creating the right strategy. That's what's really going to generate value. So if we can focus on that, yeah, I mean, the wealth generation as an outcome, like it'll it'll just happen from from you creating value. Yeah, I love that. I'm so glad
0: that I, I went down that path because that's a fantastic answer. So thank you for that. Um,
1: yeah, we could well, talk a lot more about that because doing that stuff is really freaking hard. Um, you know, it's just-
0: <laughs> yeah, you mean you mean like organizing the teams and making the decisions and 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 all of that.
1: I, I think it's it's just conscious. It's not even with the teams. It's like your own personal professional development. Mm-hmm. You know how proactive and progressive are you in that area? Because that's where it determines where you'll go in life. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody can aspire to be an entrepreneur and have the dream and sort of chase some of the activities, but are are you really developing the capability, the chops to do that? And that's we, When I work with our team, and even openly, uh, it's the same thing I talked to my daughter about. Uh, my values that I align, that I push to hold myself accountable, are discipline, continuous learning, and empathy. And I always tie that back to those s- critical skills we want to develop. Mm-hmm. Like having that discipline, that relentlessness that I've made up my mind to do something And I don't care what's between here and there, whether I like it or not, I'm just going to get it done. Uh, or I know myself well enough that I have these things that I'm rather not good at. Um, but I'm, I'm gonna connect with myself in a way that I can get out of body and be somebody mindset and all to do that task and, and get it done and overcome stage fright, whatever it is, uh, you know, the anxiety, social anxiety and get things done, uh, that, that fundamentally has to be there. That real motivation to drive the continuous learning is one. I'm really trying to emphasize to my kids because I was going through school. I didn't finish. I didn't, I hated reading at that point and I didn't do it till I turned in my thirties. When I found myself struggling with managing a team, then I, I, I found books helped with a lot of things. It helped with the short and it's like the, the exercise for it. But when you think about going back to strategy, problem solving, decision-making, it's a lot about learning the, what you, learning, right? You have to learn a lot of, get a lot of information to be able to, to do those things well. So how how do you develop your ability to learn? Because you want to learn things quickly and you got to learn a lot quickly you don't want to overdo it because you can't learn everything. Otherwise, you spend too much time and could have been doing other things. Uh, so that that learning pattern, uh, is, and we, we, if you analyze and look at yourself, you'll find that there's things that you do currently, which may be I go Google. right? Everybody goes on Google. Uh, I love Wikipedia. So I'm always researching anything, a uh, topic on, on Wikipedia and clicking all the links around it but then is this worth reading a book, right? That's a big commitment, especially most people don't read a book a month, if not a book a year, but is this worth reading a book where someone took literally a lifetime of their experience and condensed it in a couple hundred pages, um, then that might be something to, that I need to proactively activate so I can add that to my learning pattern. Right now I have this capability that I include reading a book and get that wealth of knowledge in there. And the one I'm, I'm specifically working on with my daughter is learn learning from subject matter experts, right? That here's a person that lived it, that went through this, uh, what can I learn from him or her and be, be able to just take the, take those, uh, lessons and, and, and some ways that's just better. It's this unique experience that could be very well related. Right now, I'm hiring a VP of sales and I'm talking to very successful VP of sales, getting their advice. What do I look for? In fact, one I brought in as an advisor and he's blown me away and how much better he is at identifying who's the right fit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in, so it's, that, that's, in, and that's the thing. Like, can you do that? And that's where I love podcasting. You got to go reach out to somebody. It's not, I'm here trying to beg Matt for his time. Uh, I'm just like, hey, let's let's just do this disco jam out. Let's go make some content, and it's like we're doing each other something, right? We're yeah. both getting our, our message and brands and voice out there. Uh, but then you build these relationships with people that you often wouldn't have access to. So there's that, you know, part of that learning pattern. Then the yeah. third one is empathy. When we think said things are said and done, so much of this is around how we can create influence and get people to to do things. Um, I, I like focus.ing There's a lot of cons- think about when it comes to influencing people, but just empathy. I, I think we always it co- always the thing where you can just, you have to listen first, mm-hmm. you truly, truly have to listen first, your agenda and what you're trying to achieve needs to go to the side. So I can listen to the other person, what they're thinking, how they feel, why they feel that way. And under from that, understand what, like, what are your goals? Like what's Matt trying to achieve? What? What is he trying to do? What are some of the challenges he's trying to overcome, and how do I align myself to help him with that? Mm-hmm. You know that that's just we're in business to solve problems with mergers and acquisitions with these corporations, we're running around trying to sell them our our solution. that's that's not the way to do it. It's to have a conversation and understand what they're actually who trying to solve for uh, what their initiatives are, and that that's where it allows us to to create the value um, and find those opportunities to create value. But that, that, when you do that too, it's just that your ability to influence people and you can connect with them first and really understand things from their perspective, it, it just goes such a long ways. And I, I think it's, for forget it's that the low listening, we always emphasize listening, but there's a big difference between listening to respond and listening to understand, and when you can learn how to do that, I think that's where you really unlock that magic to get people to do things that, that ability to convince anyone, anything. Yeah. No, I, I, you, you've made, you made
0: so many, so many good points there. Um, when you, when you are looking like what you said, you know, learning, learning from other people, learning from people that have gone through it and experienced it, um, how do you go about identifying, you know, the people that you would want to learn from? Because I I feel like, and I've done this before myself, where you think, you think that that person has what you want, but you later find out that they don't. And and again, um, you know, success leaves, leaves a path, right? So if, if you're following somebody else's path, who leads to, you know, a, a, a poor outcome um, and you're, you know, you're, you're bought in and you're following whatever that, that person says to a T uh, again, you're, you're more than likely to, to have a poor outcome again as well. So, how do you personally go through and, and, you know, sort of qualify, like even, even the person that you said you, you brought in, um, you know, the consultants, the the VP sales consultant, uh, you know, how did you, how did you identify him as like, you know, this is the guy that I want to to take advice from, um, to be able to, to, you know, learn to make sure that I get whatever it is that he's that he can offer. Yeah.
1: Um, you know, I, I think of beating the odds, Matt, like that—that that is always, the th- odds are always against you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I just, I remember I had to do my first contracting project early twenties and I, you know, I read traditional thing, go and get three quotes from three different contractors and review them. And I, I did that and they were all like way above the budget I had for the project and I was panicking. I didn't know what to do <laughs> never, and uh, I remember if it was my dad, it was, you know, and I, and he's like, we'll go get another quote. <laughs>
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and I, I did, I think I got two more quotes and I had five quotes and they, they were better, they were better. And I was like, wait a minute, what if I got some more quotes? So I got quote six, and then a seven, eight, nine, I got 10 different quotes for this project. And it was, it was, it was something, it was like the high end was half a million, the low end was 150. I think I ended up around like 180 because obviously mm-hmm. sometimes the cheapest isn't the best. Right. Uh, but it, you know, and it, it worked out because that was in my range, and it you you know it worked out. But that I, I think that that's experience stuck with me, where I, I kept applying. Like I, I remember I did my own condo remodel project. I made a deal with the contractor. Like I'm gonna buy all the supplies. Mm-hmm. I'll buy it. and I went online and just would sit there all day because I had the time. I was during a recession, and I uh, it would just price shop stuff and find the reputation, the vendor with the best reputation, go through a bunch, find the lowest one, have the best price match, the lowest one. Cause I know the lowest one, is it going to get to me on time or in the yeah. right color or thing, uh, and then it, it would work out. And it's just, I think it was like a good, like 30% savings just from, from doing that, uh, so that, that, when it goes back to, with these advisors, when I went to go search for this VP, I was, or it, was it was about five years ago where I wanted to build a sales team, but I didn't know and I had a um, team member that was a researcher help me. I said, hey, can you do me a favor? I wanna talk to a bunch of VP of sales. And I asked her, and we, I made a search on LinkedIn and she sent messages to 500 of them.
0: Hey, it's Matt. If you've been listening to my podcast for a while, you know that I've connected with hundreds of extremely successful entrepreneurs. We've interviewed multimillionaires, a few billionaires, top marketers, technologists, brokers, and so, so many more. Many of our guests have even landed on the Fortune 5000 or even the 500 list on at least one occasion. These people are doers and these are the type of leaders that you wanna be connected with and learn from. This whole thing started because I know that the fastest way to success was following others who have done what I'm looking to do first. We created Pass the Secret Sauce so that we could get our own business questions answered and that we could get access to the best minds in business. You see, entrepreneurs are my people, and I truly enjoy connecting with and learning from other successful business owners. And I wanted you, my listeners, to be the first to know about something new coming out. We're calling this 99 Entrepreneur Strong, and it's a community of like-minded business owners, just like you, who want to learn from and connect with other business owners to create generational wealth together. 99 Entrepreneur Strong is a community of individuals just like you who want to strengthen their business, learn what techniques are generating revenue for other business owners, and perhaps even collaborating on future projects and products. The goal is to get your business growing so that you can begin creating generational wealth. As you probably know by now, we invest in large multifamily opportunities, and we wanna help our network of entrepreneurs be able to do the same. Some of my best friends are business owners, and it's so much fun being able to create opportunities and grow together. With 99 Entrepreneurs Strong, you'll be able to network with people from all sections of industry, from investors looking to deploy capital to new opportunities, project managers looking for investors, marketing experts, contractors, mindset gurus, manufacturers, and so, so much more. I've been at this entrepreneur role for a while, and I know it takes a community to make just one business work. And the 99 Entrepreneur Strong community is my attempt to shorten your learning curve to get you plugged in to leading experts that you need fast. All this so that you can generate the capital to invest in other passive income opportunities such as multifamily. Unlike other groups, 99 Entrepreneurs Strong is a private organization that you have to apply for. Once you're approved in the group, we will match you with other entrepreneurs who we feel you will connect with. We hold monthly mastermind sessions where members will present their business story, what they need, and what they may be struggling with, and the group will offer suggestions, resources, or solve the business problems together. We also will hold other framework sessions throughout the month where other 99 Entrepreneur Strong members will present what they are currently doing in their own companies. Every session will be recorded and added to the library so you will have access to these resources whenever you need them. When you grow your business with scale, you can also impact other areas that are important to you. With the 99 Entrepreneur Strong Project, combined with our portfolio of multifamily assets and network of other entrepreneurs, our personal impact project is to eradicate the euthanasia of dogs. It's a lofty goal, but I know we can have huge impacts when we join together. So by applying to be a member of 99 Entrepreneur Strong, you'll learn how to make your business grow with tactical advice, you'll network and personally partner with other extremely successful individuals, you'll learn about other generational wealth-building opportunities, and perhaps the biggest impact is that you'll help eradicate dog euthanasia. With that, I look forward to meeting you, learning from you, and helping you grow. To learn more, go to
1: 99EntrepreneurStrong.com. Uh, like hey, and it's some short, short message. Like I'm I'm looking to hire the leader. I need I want to learn what a, what to look for in hiring a leader to take my company from whatever like zero to ten million sales or something. And uh, I had about fifty sixty people. I talked to a total of sixty different people wow. that were sales leaders from startups to Fortune 500 companies, Fortune 50 companies, uh, and, and they were willing to give advice. I found it interesting too, that when you listen and get advice from these industry experts, it's a good way of, of interviewing people. Mm -hmm. Like what they tell you, you have a really good sense if they know what they're talking about or not. It just, the way they, they explain things, Mm -hmm. uh, it tells you a lot. So I I got to know a lot of folks and I, I would take notes and I would rate that relationship like an A, B or C and add some comments to explain why. You know, it's like, see, it's like, a, and sometimes the thing was, I didn't dial it in where if I did again, it would be specifically for a very similar business B2B SaaS, something like that, where I just did VP of sales in general tech, but I got a lot of the infrastructure hardware folks and it was a very different conversation to have where I don't, didn't feel a lot of that stuff related. But then when software, when you have that conversation, when, you know, you've stumbled upon one of the best in the world, mm-hmm. like you know, you know, you just were taken back. Well, like this person's younger than I am and I'm just absolutely floored in how intelligent they can speak on this topic. You just know it. Uh, then you don't let those people go. You know, you, you keep, yeah yeah. I, yeah. I make a point once a year to be like, hey, I'm giving you the annual briefing on what's going on here at the company and company blah, blah. You know, just stay in touch. Uh, and then the time comes, yeah, it's just like, hey, look, I, I need a little more than just the once a year thing. Uh, I'm, I'm in a spot, I can incentivize you well, but, um, I, I don't know. That's the one thing I'm at now, Matt, is we're at 45 employees and it's, it's coming to the realization that as a leader, you, you, it becomes more and more about that hunt for talent Yeah. that when you find the best, you just, you chase them. You don't care. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, yeah,
0: yeah. But, no, I so, could go ahead. Go ahead. You yeah.
1: I was saying early, early. of it is your own personal professional development but then as you get things going it it does it starts switching around the people you connect with and who you can work well with bring Mm -hmm. them on board yeah
0: yeah so so talk a little bit about you know what what it is that you guys are doing right now with with mergers and acquisitions and i know that there's a technology component to all of this so I'm, i'm curious to learn a little bit of that you know how did you get into mergers and acquisitions and and um, this transition more into the technology side of things. You know, what what brought that on?
1: I did m and advisory for almost ten years. I had a boutique practice, did buy side advisory, sell side, hotel chains, and uh, development of new hotels. Also, small financial institutions. Mm-hmm. Helped big banks buy little banks. Little banks sell, raise capital, up until two thousand and seven. And that that experience, you get familiar with m and A. I I felt I hit a ceiling with the practice I had because it wasn't a big brand name. And you tend to get limited on the size of deals you could advise. I'd always lose the hundred plus million dollar deals to the bigger firms. (laughs) And I don't like losing. So that's me, my nature. I want to find a little spot in the market, win it, be number one. And that's where I was really interested in getting the tech. I'm like, all right, I, if I can't find a corner where I can just own and dominate, I'm, I feel like I'm not progressing the, the way I wanted to. And just every deal, you got to chase on the next one. I'm like, can I build a solution, scale it to a lot of people that would benefit from it. And, uh, I, I did a startup that didn't work out. Um, but it, it, it exposed me to the way software engineers would use these project management tools to manage building software. And that's why I thought, hey, this stuff would actually be really cool for M&A. Mm-hmm. Uh, that inspiration led to starting Deal Room in 2012. And I made a lot of founder mistakes there, a bunch. The best takeaway I've learned is just create a good feedback loop as part of your muscle for being an entrepreneur. Where you forget about the good news. Get rid of it. I don't even care. I don't want to hear it. Like, I cut people off. So I don't want... I give me the criticism. Tell me all the bad, Mm -hmm. uh, tell me the bad about your problems. What are the worst problems you have and try to naturally get people to see if they're talking about the problem you're trying to solve. Uh, if you do that objectively, sometimes in a series, you'll find like a better thing to solve for than what you had in mind. But when, once you start proposing solutions to people, that same feedback loop, like, give me the bad, like, tell me what's going wrong. Like, why don't you like this and this and that, like, would you pay for this? How much would you pay for this? okay mm-hmm. give me a check for that much right now what did you just lie to me did you say like really push that feedback but the you know the stuff you don't want to hear yeah and try to get that as unbiased as possible um so that, that we, we that we that core principle allowed us to, through years of iteration get to the right product where we shifted from selling a solution to investment banks to selling it directly to corporations that would acquire other businesses Then over time it evolved to manage the whole, as a software product, the life cycle of MA. and uh, then you you keep finding more problems, right? That's that's what it is. You started with solving for due diligence. We talked to more practitioners. We learned about the integration problems, start building solutions for that. And that continues to go. So as a company, we solve a lot of different problems. Some of it goes into uh, a technology product. Uh, some of it, gets written up as best practices and we have different publications, but I, I think all this rolls up into how we want to change this industry. Mm-hmm. Cause now, you know, like you're, you're making these improvements and solving these problems, but they, they start rolling up into a theme of how the industry is evolving and it's going from this traditional finance focus, like everybody critiques and tinkers with the model until they got something Justifiable for the purchase price to do the deal, yeah. But it, it's ultimately all the post-close activity that generates the value. Like no matter what your model says, right? <laughs> like it doesn't matter. Yeah. It's all about what happens, and so the realization is that's so critically important. It should be thought from the very beginning, and it is very difficult to execute on because unlike a model, it's not just tinkering with cells. You gotta motivate some people. And align it, really, have the right people doing the right things and executing the right plan. Uh, that that that's challenging and I, 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 we want to, we want to change this industry to be more collaborative and people focused so that value gets generated. Like why does somebody have to go through their company getting acquired and be fearful if they have a job or not? or all this disruption it's going to cause yeah. and, p- and people believe and, and this and that, you know, wh- why can't we change M&A where there is a very defined mm-hmm. vision for doing the deal that everybody in both organizations can be excited about, that it is going to be a win for the organization to grow together mm-hmm. and also deliver an even better customer experience and be extremely excited about that value to the customer because respectively that's what each company does because yeah. they serve the customer but even have uh, you know there's this like, excitement about it and some rewards and bonuses because when there's M&A, there's the tendency if you do it right a lot of value you can generate uh but can we can we also make that a big win for for everybody i uh i think that that's where the industry needs to go and then right now it's like a big fail rate and this and that because it is it's hard yeah. You got the people that know the front end stuff, but they didn't involve the people in the back end stuff till afterwards, which makes no sense. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, I, I think that's, that's what we're trying to do as a company is make M and a, uh, easier, faster to do, but, but more importantly, people focused. So it's, uh, an event that can be managed and deliver the value as intended. Mm-hmm.
0: So what you're what you're talking about really hits 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 home with me because we we also purchase large multifamily uh, apartment buildings and essentially each each apartment is its own business more or less right so just like what you're saying you know you what what your model says you know all your plans and all of that that that's all well and good but you know that doesn't include um, you know variables that are thrown in after closing that happen you know the the bank the bank changes, you know, something on you, and and you know, throws throws a hurdle in front of you, and you have to make those adjustments. And um, you know, the the pandemic and um, supply chain issues and all of these things, you know, weigh in on you know how how well you can perform on what your initial you know business uh, process uh, was was put together. And I, I completely agree with you, like. Figuring, figuring out a way to be able to pull in people you know, that are doing, they're doing it currently. And there, I guess there's something to be said you know, if they're doing it poorly, um, you know, how much of that gets transferred over, but, but being able to you know, sort of commingle mingle uh, that, I guess that learning curve there, um, you know, after, after you acquire that, that asset, whatever that asset may be, whether it's a business or building or whatever, um, you know, incredibly, incredibly powerful. Um, do you do you have any any thoughts on like you were saying how you're trying to make this more people focused, people centric? Um, how how like any any thoughts on how to maybe start melding that? You know, this is the old way. This is the new way, and you know, sort of this in between. Um, you know, phase of this transition to, to be able to bring in more people, more, you know, more of those opinions, any, any thoughts there on, on how to make that better?
1: Yeah. I mean, that's, that's what a lot of the stuff we spend years doing with the software piece, because we always think about the problem is diligence when you're doing the deal and you're not done with the deal, you're doing the deal. Everybody's talking to each other. They're doing their diligence. They're making Mm -hmm. sure things are what's represented and understanding the risks identifying the risks uh and there, that in the traditional sense you just have this giant excel tracker with here's all the information i need yeah and then um here's uh you know some follow-up questions that i have and you're trying to have a conversation in excel tracker which is awkward and then you're like hey this document's here in this data room <laughs> go find it it's four dot six dot eight dot, you know, 13 and then you got to go hunt around for it. And then you, you know, it's just really, really tedious, uh, to bring that into just like the modern day, not quite a chat tool, but like a project management, like an Asana Monday.com type of tool uh, for MA. it just allows you to have that collaboration where now you can prioritize things like, all right, here's like the top 10 things we need to get done today. And then tomorrow we work on, you know, like Mm -hmm. we're really laser focused on the most important things that need to get done. not trying to briefly answer 400, uh, you know, requests and make it a checkbox activity there. Uh, That's not, that's not, that doesn't do, there's a lot of that stuff doesn't matter, right? It's like, uh, why aren't we putting the weight on the work that really matters? Yeah. Like there's some big issue items that we really need to talk through and, uh, you know, that stuff needs... A lot more attention and and i feel like that's you're you're bringing that but you're so you're bringing just better level of visibility and the priorities but then that back and forth to be able to comment several times throughout a day which again like this old school way you're waiting three four days for this excel tracker to come back Mm -hmm. or again the big ticket so i i I think there's there's that part of it where you're managing working with the counterparty in a more efficient manner Mm -hmm. with that management and, and uh visibility and priorities Um, but then you, with your internal stakeholders, you're enabling them to build a work stream right along this. And maybe the external stakeholders don't have access to it. It's only Mm -hmm. the internal, but this work stream, they'll be able to right there side by side, like grab information from diligence and drop it into your post close planning, Mm -hmm. uh, track and then start building your plan right there. Start Mm -hmm. creating your stages. What's your expectations for different dates? Uh, and, and do that right along and let the functional leads, your different department leads get involved where that's the shift in the model. They're doing diligence, but they're also planning for integration at the same time. Uh, Interesting. and that's, yeah. And it, and that doesn't happen. That doesn't happen again. It's just this old way where you're emailing it. You're not even thinking about stuff like yeah. that because <laughs> we're trying to look for stuff in email or I got. You, yeah. you know, eight people. So you this. We've gone back and forth eighty times. Now it takes about a minute and a half for this email thread to load. I I don't know. That's yeah. That's that's the reason <laughs> this yeah, industry is a little behind.
0: So it, it sounds like you're you're basically trying to um, templatize or or. um uh you know basically create that that process that everyone understands you know what's going on and they they you know can see this very very easily because i know like again same thing i, I we'll, we'll we'll have sellers you know sending different spreadsheets over and then we have to figure out how the hell that spreadsheet is configured and how it works and then okay now here's the information i was looking for and i have to put it in my form and You know, so, so there's all of this like sort of meshing, melding of all the information. And, and it sounds like maybe you guys are on a path where, you know, again, you're, you're, you're creating something that takes um, both the, the, the sellers and the buyer's side and sort of melds that together so that it's easy to be able to, to start, um, you know, moving forward with that plan. Is that, is that, would that be accurate?
1: It's, it's a part of it that you're building out steps. It's it's really, we have a lot of those templates for folks that are doing it for the first time. Mm-hmm. It's really helpful. Usually if it's a company that's mature, they'll they'll have a lot of that in place. And we may bring it from Excel into that product environment. So essentially uh, digitize the, their current steps into uh, one central platform. Mm-hmm. Um, but there, there's the practice piece too. I think with the way we approach our podcast we host, we look at it as, crowdsourcing, best practices. It's very much of digging into some practical how to's and really figuring out. And then there's the underpinning theme of the industry, movement to agile. A lot of the same challenges you have with MA is fundamentally similar to building software, mm-hmm. you get a lot of assumptions in the beginning. Cause that's where you're building it on. You're building a yeah. model, like fully based on assumptions. And then throughout the whole process, you just keep getting more and more information, which like software is getting from feedback from customers here. You're getting diligence you're uncovering information you're you're learning new things and you can't not do anything you can't just periodically update your plan uh you know like the waterfall approach or the classic approach it's it's doing things that has tight iterations or creating that transparency and that's why like a lot of those fundamental things in, in agile the stand up meetings retrospectives mm-hmm. the prioritized backlog those things apply extremely well to M&A in fact mm-hmm. i think the practitioners that do do that M&A are the best
0: yeah, couldn't couldn't agree more. And, and are you guys doing, uh, like, are you are you taking a Scrum uh, approach to it as well, where you're applying, uh, you know, weights to each of the different tasks to be able to determine, like, and, and then creating the velocities and all of that to to complete I, the different tasks? I, or? I, I,
1: don't, I don't, and I, I'm definitely the non-engineering type. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but I'm sure if there's a pragmatic type A manager out there, uh, then they could blend it together too. Like I am I'm thinking of our COO, John, for example, he could do that. He'll set up more of a scrum approach and really stick to sprints. Mm -hmm. And I don't think this, this is where you can like slice agile in a lot of different ways because it's up to management personality. I'm a very type B manager. I prefer a straight Kanban flow. Where it's it's that same prioritized backlog, and you're you're running a uh for your managing, you know, what's in queue and progress. Yeah, but it's it's just one flow. That's it. I, we just keep it going. Forget about you know trying to get these uh, artificial deadlines here and there. It's just let's just move. I don't know. It works well with a mature team. If it was a new team, then maybe I would do more of a, a Scrum type of uh, mm-hmm. approach and try to structure it a little more but uh, and, and,
0: and how do you how do you go about prioritizing your backlog of of projects because um i've seen i've seen companies where again it could be the ceo it could be you know managers something like that whatever whatever pops up in front of them um now becomes the priority and i need this information right now and they've got to go and you know uh hunt down someone someone else to be able to find whatever that answer is um which then is obviously going to take take away from whatever the backlog is that they were working on. Do you do you run into any of those types of issues or are there, you know, segmentations where-
1: uh, You froze up on me, Matt.
0: Oh, uh, is that, are you, am I back I again? Up. Oh no, you're froze on me. Hang on one second. <laughs>
1: <laughs> there we go. Oh. Yeah. Looks like we're back. Froze up on me there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you froze on me
0: then too. Um so so oh, it says
1: my internet's unstable. Huh. I can uh check my speed. It looks okay though. Yeah,
0: no, I think we're good now. Okay. But yeah, and again we we'll edit all this out so so no worries. But um uh I, I'm curious how you go about prioritizing your backlog. And I don't know how much of that, that last question you heard, but, but basically you know, prioritizing the backlog so that uh, you know, you, you might have an executive CEO manager, whoever it is that has a question. And all of a sudden this question comes in out of nowhere. And uh, you know, the person who has to answer that gets taken away from whatever the backlog is. So then it's up to that person to essentially you know determine is it is it worthwhile for me to step away from what i'm working on here and answer whatever this question is or do i do i move forward with this I, i'm just curious your thoughts on that because i've 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 had other people and i've seen it myself where um you know there there can be a lot of um there can be a lot of calamity a lot of uh you know confusion what's priority right i've got this guy asking this 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 but i still have this to work on so
1: yeah, I, I, it, it's like an ongoing thing. It goes back to that learning pattern, right? Like how do you learn to get more effective about managing yourself and your team? Um, we do uh, a project management tool. We, we use our own right now, uh, mm-hmm. and that's just your to-do list. We use Slack and then Calendar. And so the discipline around this is anything that's short form, right? Really quick question, my comments, ideas for a marketing team, like all yeah. that stuff. Slack it's all organized through channels and you want to, you want to create a good communication platform. Like that's my goal. At the end of the day, I want every person, in the organization, to feel their voices heard. Yeah. And that's my job. Listen to them. Both the good and bad. Right. <laughs> I want to hear your ideas. Yes. I want to hear when they want to point out some cracks appearing in the floor. And we yeah. so it don't blow through. Uh, and then that's, so that, that's having that the Slack channels there to, to encourage a lot of that, we put the purpose, and there could be a different one, like sales. Like just talk about what, what our goals are and the outreach, and then some of our strategy, like bring your ideas to that channel. We'll post some news updates and things like that. Uh, so the you know a lot, a lot of it's there for the quick communication questions. Then we have our project management tool that um, we're going to have a descending list in order of priority. Uh, so the most important is always on top. And, um, I have a team, I work with the team of, uh, three admins that work with me to help execute against that mm-hmm. just so they can assist with working cross-functionally, uh, to, to help their various, um, you know, teams. Cause some of the challenges when you have cross-functional projects, you just, it's, it's nice to have a team that can own it and just make sure that things are moving along. Uh, and then th- so. Uh, that that's like reviewed at least weekly because mm-hmm. the challenge is your priorities will shift. So you do have to be very proactive about grooming and making sure things are adjusted accordingly and then just review that. Uh, and then the calendar is where you just put, you got to allocate time. Like at the end of the day, I wake up and just follow the calendar. Yeah, and yeah. It, it, you know, in the beginning of the day, it's like the little personal habits I'm working on, right? Do 15 minutes yoga or something. Yeah. And then, you know, put those things in there and schedule it. But that that's part of it is you have that thing and it's on your priority, making sure there's dedicated time allocated to executing on those priorities. Um, and then what's nice, like I, I have a team that I work around that also can do the same thing. I find the challenge I ran it up against was that, um, I wasn't, didn't have time to do the proactive real value add effort because my calendar was so full from all these different activities. Um, now that's where we're really changing the approach to bring team members that can actually help do some of those proactive efforts. So, mm-hmm. and then this is where managing your schedule. If I'm to spend 30% of my time with customers, 30 percent of our time with prospective customers you know you think of strategy and working with your internal team and hiring (laughs) you got to be pretty disciplined about managing it and it's it's tough to do Um, uh, and and, but when you can that's where the goal was was to you know figure out how how do you sort of execute on those things that really drive the most value where it's the existing customers and prospective customers are where the company needs at the early stages um so that that's where the key is having that that time so even like calendar time to focus on the strategy like okay let me think through who's really the next big win of a relationship to get the company to the next phase and then start sending the messaging out get the communication going
0: love it love it yeah this is this has really been this has really been insightful i i love i love some of the things that you talked about some of the ways that you you know approach these these different problems and um, you know just just the way that you think about those types of things so so really 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 good stuff um, if people want to learn more about you your products the m a products anything like that um, what would be the best way to reach out and get in touch
1: I'm interested in, anybody interested in m a even as far as m a is a career path we've got a bunch of content around that uh, we actually started a scholarship last year um, for uh, diversity inclusion so uh, for, for women and people of diverse backgrounds they can apply for it on the website. It's like a two year program. Mm-hmm. Uh but it's all mascience.com. a science. Love it.
0: Love it. Sean, this has been fantastic. Uh again, thank you for the time. And uh I look forward to, to connecting with you some more and learning <laughs> learning some more about the uh the new technologies and whatnot that you're coming out with.
1: Yeah. I appreciate it, Matt. It's always fun chatting about this stuff and um, Yeah. Thank you very much for the time.
0: Thanks for listening. And remember, pass the secret sauce.